0: Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at JapanByRiverCruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from Kumon Adult
1: Learning. Given the news this week that vaccines for COVID-19 are being distributed in the UK, you might've realized that the pandemic could be over soon, which means you're probably pretty anxious about not actually accomplishing any of that stay-home upskilling that you thought you were gonna do. With the return to normalcy just around the corner, you certainly don't have enough time to complete your impossibly ambitious plans of learning that second language, getting in shape, or discovering how to feel emotions about your children again. Or do you? Our network of Juku Cram Schools has considerable spare capacity since the pandemic, and we're excited to announce our new program, Kumon Adult Learning. Cram your dreams into that one last sliver of space left between work, sleep, and scrolling. Spend two hours a night in one of our classrooms with a teacher who isn't allowed to teach at a public school for one reason or another, and have them watch over your shoulder, forcing you to work on your novel, actually attend your Rosetta Stone live session, or keep you from touching your phone while your wife talks to you about your son's behavioral issues. True, even with our guidance you might not actually reach your goals, but we do have a 1.6 acceptance rate to Todai. Kumon, because you had 9 months to improve yourself, and you didn't. Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Oli Horn. And joining us this week is Katsuhiko Hara, editor of the Nikkei Asia homepage. Uh, It's actually because of his work that Ali and I first found out that while we took it for granted that all of the rivers in Japan are Japanese rivers, that's actually by design. In fact, half of the rivers here in Fukuoka would likely be imported from China if it weren't for protectionist trade barriers. Katsuhiko, it's an honor to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: On this week's show, what does the incoming Biden administration mean for the Japanese economy? We'll ask Katsuhiko all about the state of trade in Japan. And no, Brian, we won't ask him what he thinks you can get for
0: your rare Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, this week's recommendation is a pretty exciting one for technology fans, a new river cruise venture in Tokyo that combines data from your actual Spotify listening history to match you with other passengers who share similar music listening history. Early reviews are in, and people hate it. Also, the first female-owned, all-female-captained river cruise
1: fleet launches in Kyoto with the mission statement of providing fun and financially secure career opportunities for Kyoto's women. Later in the show, we'll talk to Finance Minister Asotaro to find out how to best blame the fleet for the declining birth rate. But first,
0: Soap Talk. Matsuhiko, you are an economics expert, and I don't think that we can actually talk about the Japanese economy without mentioning the only thing that's currently keeping it afloat, which is Kimetsu no Yaiba. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, Ki- is Kimetsu no Yaiba the reason why the Nikkei is at an all-time high?
2: <laughs> nah. <No. laughs> I wish it was, right? <laughs>
1: uh, I noticed in one of your recent tweets you referred to Kimetsu no Yaiba as the Kimetsu money machine. I really like that.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really strong content. It's good for business. I think they did the collaborations really well, too. And, But, of course, I mean, we, we also have to look at the fact that there were no other movies coming out at the time. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. <laughs>
1: I've started to notice a little bit of a, of a Kimetsu backlash. Uh, I did a, a piece for a local TV show today where we went out to, to Fukuoka. I don't know if you guys have been following the Kimetsu rumors, but they've kept it secret who, who came up with the idea and who writes the manga. Uh, mm. But the current rumors are that it's someone from Fukuoka, because uh, Kamado is the name of the main character, and there are a couple of Kamado Jinjas in Fukuoka. And then in the movie, I guess, one of the characters erroneously refers to Kamado Tanjiro as Mizoguchi Shonen. And one of the Kamado Jinjos in, Jinjas in Fukuoka is called Mizoguchi Kamado Jinja. And it's got these carvings at the shrine that are very reminiscent of the the sword art he practices, Mizuno Kokkyu. And so there's all these rumors flying around that um, this... Countryside shrine in the middle of nowhere has somehow inspired Kimetsu no Yaiba, and so all these Kimetsu no Yaiba cosplayers are now showing up at this shrine in the middle of nowhere (laughs) to the point where they had to they had to build a shamusha. What? Uh, Not a shamusha. A shamusho. A shamusho, which is uh, the place at the shrine where they sell bubble tea shop. It's the place at the shrine where they sell like omamori and uh mikuji and stuff like that. And this, this shrine was so small that it never had one, so they had to build one. I said they, they went from like 15 people a day to like a thousand people a day visiting the shrine. Is that economics 101? <laughs> uh, in terms of their economic impact, it's been a huge difference.
0: Mm. Katsiko, what are your what are your thoughts on um what are your thoughts on this on the uh, on all this money sloshing around?
2: No, it's, a, it's good. I mean, it's one of the very few good news we have these days, isn't it?
0: I hate
1: to rain on the parade, but I've also heard some like Kimetsu pushback. Um, it's gotten, I guess, so popular that there's a little bit of a backlash. Uh, as part of the interviews we were doing today, we heard a bunch of parents saying the problem with Kimetsu is that until now they've relied on oni. As like ways to threaten their children. In Japan, it's very common to be like, if you misbehave, the oni will come. Mm-hmm. But now all these kids are like so enamored with Kimetsu no Yaiba. They're like, bring on the onis. <laughs> <laughs> if the onis come, the, the, I don't know, Kisatsutai is going to come and mess them up.
0: We'll take them. Yeah. Uh, talking of, uh, of oni, uh, the oni to our show, our dear listeners, uh, occasionally send us in mails. Uh, if you want to send us a message japan by uh, and click the fax button bobby what did we get in the mailbox this week uh we received a message from a brian
1: named natasha Natasha says that she loved our episode with Oleg Benish, the uh, Bushido episode, which we entitled Bullshido. Very clever. Uh, She says she loved it, but could you guys explain the truck reference? Uh, So this is a legit question about something that came up on the show. Um, He had mentioned that after 1945, you never heard about the Emperor's divinity anymore in Japan. And I made a joke that was, are you sure you never heard about that anymore? Because there's a very loud truck that drives past my window every week. And that joke was about these propaganda cars. A lot of times they're associated with like political movements, but right-wingers in Japan tend to drive trucks or set up trucks in the big city and go on like long-winded right-wing propaganda sprees. Um and some of them are are very much connected to, you know, the the emperor's divinity. So my joke in that moment was you do still hear about it occasionally. The people who still believe it tend to be very, very vocal and very aggressive in how vocal they are about it. And Katsuhiko, just to give you an idea of like one of the problems that we have, uh, a recurring issue that we have with our podcast, when. Ali saw that we had this question, his first instinct was like, how do we uh, insult this person for sending us a message?
0: No, no, (laughs) no, no. I don't want to insult them. What should we
1: make up in response to this?
0: (laughs) I just wondered whether Natasha might prefer that we lie.
1: (laughs) Instead of just answering the question. I was talking about propaganda trucks, Brian. Thank you very much for sending us a mail.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you to everyone that continues to support the show by buying us a coffee or two each month uh, and getting access to bonus content in turn we genuinely appreciate it we cannot do the show without your help bobby shall we take a look at the news bobby Judo,
1: what's in the news this week well because the year 2020 is a goddamn nightmare where anything can happen. I don't want to put money on this, but it does look like Joe Biden is going to be the next president. Uh, He's getting ready to take over the administration he's making all the transition moves and we'd like to ask katsuhiko what this means for japan what this means for the japanese economy and what it means for us as individuals living in japan uh can we start by talking a little bit about uh the trade situation between the us and japan overall
2: yeah i guess if you put it in a perspective of some several decades um, you know us japan related trade relation has never been that bad for past decade or even two decades um, because, you know, myself growing up seeing the real trade conflict is, mm. you know, when the United States was very angry that there was there were too many Japanese cars coming in or the electronics before that or the, even the textile in the 70s, I think. Um, and then it went up to the probably like the highest point in the mid-90s where Clinton administration you know, would try to slap 100% tax on Japanese luxury cars or pickup trucks. Mm. Um, and then that kind of faded out um, for two obvious reasons. And one is the rise of China, you know, because China was exporting so much. That was a bigger problem for the United States. And also because Japanese economy pretty much deteriorated in the late 90s. Right. And, and you know, never really came back up. Um, Although we're a little better than we were before, um, mm. it's not at a point where like Japanese economy is a threat to the United States, and
1: it's not necessarily globally competitive with China,
2: right? And also because like the supply chain gets so sophisticated that you know when you're saying you export a Japanese product, I mean half of it could be made in Malaysia or Vietnam or you know, so you can't. It's hard to say take one product and says, this is made where? I mean, they always have made in Japan or something, but not all of it, right? Um, Right. So that's changing situations.
0: But that doesn't necessarily mean that it affects the the GDP negatively though, right? Like it might actually be more profitable overall for Japan to only actually physically manufacture 30% of a good uh, because actually the value that it's providing is you know, all the kind of the services around that good or the, the design, the overseeing of the manufacture. Like, really, what, what Japan cares about, right, is its GDP stays big. And it is still enormous, right? It's like double South Korea. It's like even bigger than Germany.
2: Right. The third largest um, economy in the world. And yeah, and just like you said, it's important that you add value you know, whichever the process you take on, and then you export it to, mm. you know, your exporting partner. and But... You know, and then, so there are the two factors, one, rise of China, two, deterioration in the Japanese economy. And then, of course, Trump comes in and, you know, now even more so, I mean, U.S. Japan. I mean, he did say some stuff about Japan, but he didn't never really took action on it. He was just busy raising tariff against China.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, in terms of what Trump had to say about Japan or what he did in terms of Japan... What do you think he actually knew or thought about Japan? Because I think right in the beginning, I remember hearing a lot of comments that made it sound like he was still thinking of the Japan of the 80s and early 90s.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the stuff he said were just stuff I heard when I was in high school or something, you know? Um, Yeah.
1: This anxiety about Japan as this threatening economic power yeah. at a point where it really was no longer that economic power.
2: Yeah. So I think he was just saying it, you know, as a rhetoric. And, so for our
1: purposes, if, if we consider, you know, the Trump administration, if we refer to the Trump administration and its policies just as blanket Trump, what do you think Trump's stance was on Japan and what was he most concerned with?
2: Oh, that's a tough question, because it really didn't look like he had any stance on... <laughs> um,
0: so and... what did Trump think about this? Trump did not think.
1: Uh, well, um, so so from the, the headlines that I saw, it seemed like he was very concerned about cars.
2: Yeah, yeah. He did say a lot about cars, but he didn't do much on anything. Um and when you look back to the years of Trump administration, in terms of trade, he was very busy, you know, raising tariffs on China. He was, um, his administration was busy uh, reworking the NAFTA into a new one, you know, and it kind of looks like he used up his time doing those yeah. things.
0: And of course, the reason that we're focusing on the U.S. and why it mattered, what Trump thought, was at the time that Trump came into office, the U.S. was still like a fifth of Japanese exports, wasn't it? Like mm-hmm. no other market has come close uh to the to the kind of um, at the time he came into office the u s was still a respectable country, <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and so is that why Japan was so keen, for example, to get that treaty with the e u to to kind of broaden its its trading horizons to outside the u s china and South Korea, which together was like i don't know about half of its exports
2: um in one way, yes, but that's really i don't think that was the real true reason the Japan was pushing a, uh Japan-EU um, agreement because I think the original plan was to seal TPP as it was supposed to be with the United right. States in it and then go right. on to Japan-EU and hope that United States and EU, you know, probably not like a solid agreement but have a better relation in trade and then use that as a framework to pressure China to comply with the rules. And mm-hmm. um this is really important for Japan um to to like set up the framework and the rules, it rules. And I I really need to stress this because uh, you know, people look at TPP or Japan EU trade agreement as um something about tariffs, but it, there are tariffs, they will be lowered, you know, and so consumers will benefit from that. That's one thing. But TPP has lots of rules that you know you must comply with, and one of them, like one example I can raise, is like um, decreasing the decreasing the impact of the state-owned enterprises, because if they're owned by the government and if they're you know have all the horsepower with the tax money, that's unfair competition, mm. which of course yes. hurts. The fair trade, as we know it,
0: right? And wasn't it that kind of issue that was at the heart of the issue between Australia and China? Because Australia, because China was saying to Australia, all of your wine is being subsidized uh, by the government and you're dumping it uh, in order to be anti competitive with Chinese wines.
2: Yeah, so China, like, really mixed the other issues with trade, using it. Like, um, I think it really started off with. Australia saying that WHO and the world needs to look into who spread the coronavirus. You know, okay. uh, they named China, but they said we need to know the origin and know the truth about this and you know that which meant that world should investigate China much harder on this coronavirus origin of coronavirus and that really angered China.
0: What did they want? Just put a bat in a criminal dock? <laughs> Yeah. Um <laughs> What what are we gonna do to the bat? We should hang him. You're you're playing into his hands.
2: Yeah. But yeah, that really angry China and China started doing the real obvious anti dumping um investigations, which is something a country yeah. can do to kinda try to scare other countries off, you know. And then eventually um they decided to um raise a tariff or something. I forget where they mm. did they really shut it out? No, they didn't shut it out, but um
0: Yeah. Whatever they did, they 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 kicked up a massive fuss. So just going back to the to the TPP and this big Japan. EU deal. that the only thing that kind of consumers really care about. The only thing which we care about is will stuff be cheaper, right? <laughs> Cuz a tariff is basically a tax, right? And if, if there's lower tariffs in theory we we pay less. Mm-hmm. But I am interested to know more about these other things which these agreements can do. So you you've already mentioned uh you know this idea of of state aid. Sometimes there's uh, like environmental uh, mandates as well mm-hmm. making sure that you know we comply to certain environmental policies. What what are Japan's priorities in these kind of more I don't know political uh, inclusions that they make in their trade deals.
1: Yeah, just as a very basic question, like, what does Japan want from the U.S. in reference to China?
2: From U.S.? Japan-U.S. relation?
1: In terms of trade, like, what what poli- what stance does Japan want the U.S. to take on China and why?
2: Uh, okay, yeah, so um, so I mentioned uh, state-owned enterprises, that's one thing. Um, another would be intellectual property, protection of um, intellectual property, is another one because you know some of the animes are just copied off and stuff you know we want that to stop um japan was also concerned about the technology transfer you know when you invest in a country make a factory you produce product the technology will eventually move on to another country Mm. right you just got to make sure you have the real high-tech stuff at home And the other stuff will be kind of transferred to other countries, so um, which is more like lower tech, I guess, um, Mm. first. But I think China was trying to have that technology transfer faster, almost Mm. like accelerated, you know, in an unnatural way, Um, and that was one of the concerns for the Trump administration, and which is a fair and reasonable concern. And I think, you know, Japan also had the same concern that, you know, if you just let it be, um, there are going to be ways, you know, where China as a policy will just, yeah, really unnaturally accelerate the technology transfer. Um, Yeah.
1: Um, it's interesting that you said Trump was concerned with that. And one of the things that he did was uh, to outlaw TikTok, <laughs> was to talk about outlawing TikTok. If Japan's concerned with China and in going about, you know, unnatural or immoral means to advance their technology, Japan needs to crack down on that TikTok soon. Uh, Katsuhiko, yeah. you yeah. you mentioned that pre-Trump, Japan was operating under the assumption that the U.S. would kind of be sealed into the TPP. And then Trump came along and, and that got all messed up. Mm-hmm. Um but so in the meantime, Trump and Abe made this mini trade deal that that, you know, didn't quite give either country exactly what they wanted. You know, mm-hmm. Japan didn't get the, the car tariffs lowered and America didn't get the access to the agricultural markets that they wanted in Japan. And mm-hmm. from what I heard, it was kind of they made a deal that left both countries worse off than they would have been had they dealt through TPP.
2: Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I agree with that, and it's a very typical thing in a bilateral trade deal that no, you know, neither n- side gives up what they should to make it into a real trade deal that benefits both countries. And, yeah. and as you just mentioned, the U.S.-Japan mini deal was like, why did you even do it? But I, I mean, oftentimes they seal deals faster, it you know, just to look good and say, hey, we did it. Um, yeah. Yeah so there are, um so yeah bilateral trade deals rarely benefit people yeah you know, on either side
0: you know. yeah that is more like kind of a press up isn't it like only like only a multilateral trade deal will mm-hmm. have any meaningful impact yeah during the Trump administration Japan should have shifted
1: their automobile strategy and instead of producing like smaller pickup trucks like Keitora, Tora they should have produced like giant semi trucks and Trump would have let those in for the photo op alone <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, as long as I can sit in the cab and honk the horn, I'll, I'll lower the tariffs.
0: Yeah, all Japan needed to do was just name everything Trump. <laughs> yeah. Trump Rice. Oh, yeah. That would have
1: been a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think... The concerns are, like, Trump talked a lot about how unfair, you know, the automobile deals were, and he thought, you know, Japanese cars are coming in cheaply, and people are buying Japanese cars, and American makers are suffering. D- did
2: he want, you know, American cars to be sold more broadly in the in, in Japan? Yeah, I mean, if he was aiming for something, that must have been it, but it, from what I've been following, you know, in all this news about that... U.S.-Japan talks, I mean, that was, I don't know, it just didn't come up so much. (laughs) Um, Hmm. It was hard to grab, grasp the intention on the American side. Yeah,
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I asked about how much did Trump actually care was he actually doing his job because i feel like for the four years that trump was in in power he was kind of saying things when people asked him to say things but there was no action behind it and it was mostly because he didn't care about doing his job so that idea of it being hard to grasp the american intention i don't think there was an intention i don't think they they really were all that concerned with how things were unfolding
2: yeah, I, I get the same impression too, and especially when it comes to Jap- U.S.-Japan trade relation and the bilateral talk that kind of happened for Japan, all it wanted to do is just buy some time um, and hopefully, you know, hope that Trump loses the next election and the United States eventually come back to TPP. Because as for Japan, I mean, there was no point in doing the bilateral talk with the United States because we already did that in tpp right i mean japan had nothing japan just didn't have any more to offer than what they offered in tpp and um so you know and and i'm assuming that's why it ended up like it did
1: so will biden bring us back into the tpp talks or what
2: so my guess it's is it's going to be pretty hard for him to do that at least right away
1: um, oh, because most of Americans are dead now. <laughs> this is Ali did this same joke a handful of episodes ago, but <laughs> but it, it's uh, it's still relevant. It's still relevant. Why do you think it'll be difficult for for TPP to be an immediate concern?
2: Well, Trump gave this protectionist measures so much momentum that you know it's hard for next administration to come in. And be like Trump, you know, rip up all the agreements, um, or mm. just totally swing the other way. From so it was easy for Biden to say we're going to go back to the Paris Agreement, right? Because right. I mean, it's, it's environment; it's harder to disagree with that. Right. But when it comes to trade, and you know, and when it comes to when it comes to t- um, protecting certain sector. You know, it gets a little harder to resist, right? I mean, yeah, we're going to go back
1: to saving the world. Yeah. And also Mm. we're going to go back to letting Chinese goods
0: in cheaply. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Is the TPP dead in the only two countries have ratified it? There's like a dozen signatories right but they, they haven't really done what they need to do to implement it it was really ambitious right it was yeah. going to cut tens of thousands of tariffs it was going to mean like i guess it's really easy to forget like what what the actual benefits of these things are. But from a really practical point of view, this means that like you could have a company that is in Peru and you could sell to, I don't know, Brunei, some goods and you don't need to fill out like loads of customs forms and you don't need to like, you know, like that, good can go into the country at the same price that you're selling it in your home country like it's really easy to forget like how good this would be right and it's actually not very easy to forget how good this would be if you're british uh, because we've just lost uh, all of those benefits with the eu um... <laughs> But uh, do you think the TPP project was like too ambitious and it might just have to, to die in order for something new to supersede it? Maybe, again, driven by uh, some greater uh, drive like environmental protection? That's an interesting mm. point because we talked a lot
1: about how important it is for people to have these press opportunities. And while it might be hard for a Biden administration to go, we're going to go do the opposite of everything Trump did, it might be easier to start something new and and have it essentially be the same thing under a new name.
2: Yeah, I think so there's a good chance that United States will start saying that okay, TPP is a good idea, but we need to fine tune it and change some of the stuff. Um I doubt if if anybody will try to come up with something totally new um and because they spent so much time negotiating for the original TPP um, it just wouldn't be reasonable to take just as much, you know, same amount of time to start all over. And mm. um, the point I should mention is that TPP was agreed once during the Obama administration um, because it, there were beneficial, you know, beneficial parts to it, even mm. for the United States. And of course, countries like um, Malaysia or Vietnam they would have to give up a lot of, you know, state-owned enterprises, stakes or something, but they would Mm. still do it and go for it because they want more access to the U.S. market. You know, like in return, U.S. could have more benefit, like in protection of investment or something, right? Um, And so it wouldn't be reasonable for anybody to try to start a totally new thing. Um, But, of course, it will be hard for Biden to say, okay, let's go back to TPP either. So, you know, if you take the middle point, I think there's a good chance that, you know, somebody in the um, Biden administration would start saying, okay, TPP is a, you know, good framework, but we just can't take it as it is and we need to fine tune it.
1: Um, yeah, I think for fine tuning, I have a pretty good idea for something that they could offer that would be an easy sell in Japan. I think would be really popular. It would be um, TPPAP, Trans-Pacific Partnership <laughs> Apple Pen. <laughs> Apple.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've really, um, you've really grappled with the issues this week, haven't uh, you, Billy? <laughs> Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 62 of Japan by River Cruise. If you'd like even more content from us, then you can join our mailing list at japanbyrivercruise.com. Send us your email and we will spam you. And thank you to our guest this week, Katsuhiko Hara, who is the
1: homepage editor for Nikkei Asia. Katsuhiko, I really enjoy uh, following you on Twitter, seeing your retweets and uh, occasionally your humorous opinions. Thank you for joining us. It was great to talk to you.
2: Thank you for having me, and um, if I may, I'd like to ask the listeners to, to please come visit the Nikkei Asia website. Um, give it a, uh, give it a try. We have all the good stuff on the business, trade, politics, and sometimes um, art and culture, and some other, and good opinion pieces too. Thank you.
0: Sometimes art in culture. They've got their... We oil the the machinery of commerce, but sometimes we do it with colored oil. They've got their priorities straight.
1: (laughs) And so do you because you listened again this week. Thank you. We'll see you next week.